If you would turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 13. Tonight we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. Instead of continuing on in Philippians, we're going to now uh, be contemplating these verses in which the Lord himself set apart the first missionaries to carry the gospel further abroad than merely um, uh, up the, uh, uh, the peninsula on the eastern side of the um, Mediterranean carrying it to Cyprus, and then even further than that, carrying it to uh, Asia Minor, and of course, laying the groundwork for the gospel to go all the way to Europe. But more importantly, seeing that it's the Lord who chooses his servants. It's the Lord's program that we are, we're carrying out. We are his people, and we are called upon to do his work uh, in his world. But before we address these verses, let's go ahead and let's, whoop, let's read his word. Or rather, let's pray. God, our gracious Father, I do thank you, Lord, for this evening's worship service. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come once again to your word. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would help me to open it up and that I would do so aright, that I would divide this word correctly, going not to the left or to the right, but cleaving to the king's highway. Help me, O oh Lord, now to uh, impress the importance of uh, your calling upon men's lives. And may it be the case that you would raise up not just a new elder, although we are so very glad for that, but other officers within this congregation. And indeed, in the years to come, I pray that some of the, the young boys now today who are about to hear this would, be, would feel your call upon their lives, that you would give them your gifting, and that you would send them into the fields to work as your workmen, as officers within your church. Looking forward to that, Lord, we, we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. 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 Acts chapter 13, and reading verses 1 through 5, I remind you, this is the word of the Lord. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. As I was... Um, thinking about what to preach on today, uh, on this ordination service, I, I thought today about this, this passage about being set apart, since we are about to set apart a man from our congregation for a particular uh, work. We are about to set him apart to the ministry of elder, and in this passage in Acts, uh, we see two men who are about to be set apart for a ministry in which they are to become missionaries. These verses, we have two men, Saul, better known as Paul, and Barnabas. And they are both set apart from the other members of the congregation. And they are ordained by the church for a particular ministry, in this case, the ministry of mission work. And this was, of course, how Paul's first missionary journey begins. If you, uh, it, it used to be, and uh, I don't see it as regularly anymore, but most Bibles will still have it. You have the, uh, the first missionary journey of Paul, and you can see where he uh, went from Antioch and then out to Cyprus and then going through uh, Pamphylia and then Antioch and Pisidia and so on, these various places in Asia Minor. 
And you can see his root in the way that uh, the Lord sent him. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are being sent out, first of all, of all, to make disciples in Cyprus, on this island that lay just off the coast of uh, Israel, and um, in particular off the coast of what is today Lebanon. Uh, and then sending them out to Asia Minor, to establish churches, to raise up, and also to ordain other men in the ministry. Paul and Barnabas were not going to be doing hit-and-run ministry. Instead, what they were going to be doing was going through, they were going to preach the word and hopefully establish congregations, and then later on would go back and in turn strengthen them. Paul himself would end up uh, ordaining uh, elders within those churches and, uh, or appointing other men, eventually, like Timothy, his disciple, to ordain elders. Elders were critical to the ministry of the church from the very beginning. And indeed, in the Old Testament as well, we see elders. We, uh, we read about uh, in the company of the elders in the opening psalm that we would praise the Lord in the company of the elders. God has been setting apart men for those particular ministries, not just the, the huge leadership roles like Moses and David, but setting apart men for the offices of elder, and then later on in the New Testament, the office of deacon from uh, of old. Their job, of course, was to not just maintain the churches that had been established, but to do all that they could to spread those churches far and wide, to send the gospel out into other countries, into other cities in their, uh, in their area, and then throughout the world to do all that they could to be bringing in the harvest that the Lord had ordained. Now, we know that God could have used, and probably it would have worked better in some senses if he had, he could have used angels to spread the gospel. But he chose not to do that. Uh, he chose to spread the gospel using mere men, like you and me, ordinary people. Not just men in ordained roles, of course, but uh, women and children in some cases. We remember that after the persecution that started under Saul, the entire church went out. They fled that persecution, but they didn't go about silently trying to keep their heads down. Rather, they went about, as the, uh, the word puts it, gossiping the gospel, telling everybody they met about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord Jesus had intended that this would happen. He had told the apostles at his ascension in Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the very fact that there was this, this church in Antioch to send them out was a fulfillment of that promise. Antioch was outside the bounds of Israel. Antioch was the capital of the province of Syria at the time. It was the third largest city within the empire. Only Rome and Alexandria were larger than Antioch. And it was become the most important city to Christianity because that particular metropolis was to become the cradle, so to speak, of Gentile Christianity. Acts chapter 11 tells us that Antioch was the place where the disciples were first called Christians. Now that was not a, a, a nice term. Originally the followers of Jesus had called themselves the people in the way. Uh, the people who were following Christ uh, in his particular way. But they were then called the Christians, the Christ followers. And that became uh, the title. Uh, there's lots of titles that started like that. Uh, derogatory names, for instance, the, uh, the Puritans, the Lollards and so on. They were all named by their critics, but the name stuck, and after a while they wore them proudly. In any event, the gospel spread to Antioch precisely because of persecution, and so we see that even the bad things that happen, God uses for good. God uses for his church. And then 
uh, Jewish Christians from Cyprus like Barnabas or, uh, or places like Cyrene in North Africa had traveled to Antioch, had preached the gospel to Jews and to Gentiles, and a great number had believed, and a church had started. From the very beginning, though, Jesus had been selecting men who would build his church. That's important to remember. Jesus, when he established his center of ministry in Capernaum in Galilee during his earthly ministry, he did not hang up a sign outside the door saying, apostles needed, apply within. Rather, he went directly to the men whom he wanted to be his disciples, his apostles in particular, and he called them. Matthew 9.9, for instance, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now consider that. That's Matthew Levi, a tax collector. This is not the kind of man that a rabbi normally would have called to have been his follower, his disciple, his learner. And yet, he was precisely who Jesus wanted. And we know that he used him later on, of course, to write the gospel according to Matthew. Jesus did not pick randomly. God has never operated that way. He's never used the eeny, meeny, miny, mo uh, methodology of determining who is going to be his apostle, who's going to be his elder, who's going to be his teacher, who's going to be his pastor. No, rather, the creator of the heavens and the earth had said before the world even began, think about this, this man will be my elder, this man will be my deacon, this man will be an evangelist, this man will be a missionary, and so on. He had determined not only that they would be his, but the stations, the places that these men would occupy within his church. He is the one who crafted them. And in doing so, he shaped them for his particular work. We see this in the way that God explained to Jeremiah. When God called Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, oh, oh no, Lord, you've got the wrong man. Moses, you'll recall, did exactly the same thing. Not me, oh Lord, you must, uh, you must mean somebody else. But the Lord said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.4, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Don't you understand, Jeremiah? You're thinking you're not the man for the job, but you are precisely, and I mean precisely the man for the job. I created you for it. With all of your idiosyncrasies, with all of your fears, with all of your flaws and failings, nonetheless, I am the one who made you for this particular calling. And I will put my word in your mouth and you will speak it. I'll give you the courage that you need. You remember how Jesus told the apostles not to worry about what they would say when they were called before kings and people in authority. He said, in that moment, I'll give you the words that you need to speak. That should be a great reassurance to those who are called to ministry. It has been to me. There's been so many times when I have thought, I, I, I will be frank with you, I never stand here without thinking, I am not qualified for this position, Lord. What am I doing here, honestly? And yet somehow the Lord overcomes my weaknesses and manages to give me the words that I need to speak on occasion. Often, the things that I never expected that I would say, I end up saying. Some of them aren't bad, you know, once in a while. <laughs> the Lord, the more to the point, though, is the one who ordains. He's the one who crafts. He's the one who sends. He is the one who is in charge of that process, and therefore we can trust in him. He who has begun that good work in you, he will finish it. 
So Jesus, you remember, he reassured his own apostles after he had chosen them. John 15, 16, you did not cho uh, choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. The Lord Jesus Christ said, you know, don't you remember? I, you didn't come to me. I came to you. I called you. And I know what I'm doing. He gifted them for that work. He chose them. He trained them. He empowered them. And that, of course, that process didn't stop at Christ's ascension. Jesus called Saul of Tarsus to be his apostle to the Gentiles on the Damascus Road. And in Acts 13, we see Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, in those verses that we just read here, saying to Paul and Barnabas, after they had returned from Jerusalem, it's time for you to take the next step in the program that I outlined for you, in that program of carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. But note that it's not the Holy Spirit who tells them directly. Now, the Holy Spirit could have done that, but he did not. Who does he tell? He tells the church, and specifically he tells officers in the church, in this case, prophets and teachers in the church in Antioch, because Jesus is building his church and establishing the way that the work was going to go forth. And there are tons of people, yeah, I mean, you've run into them, I'm sure, yourself, who say, well, you know, I, I don't need to be part of the church of God to do God's work. When people say to that, you should say, yes, you do. If you want to do God's work God's way, you've got to be part of his church. Jesus didn't say, I will make my autonomous collective and uh, I will raise up people in the midst of Starbucks throughout the world. No offense to Starbucks, of course, Adrian. Um, but in order that they might go out by themselves and tell people whatever seems good to them. No, rather, he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. What is the church? It's the assembly of his saints. Those who are called out of the world and called together according to his purposes. So, these men in this church in Antioch did not simply decide they were called to ministry. They did not proclaim themselves bishops and then go out. They were rather, they were gifted, they were trained, they were set apart by the church for that ministry. And note this, it's, it's very important. They didn't just get the call and leave immediately. What happened first? They were ordained by the church, ordained with prayer and the laying on of hands for that particular ministry. And I'm sure before they, they left, one of their requests to the church, and the church's understanding is we need to pray for these men. When we send out an evangelist, when we send out a, uh, a minister, when I go to Uganda, for instance, or Rwanda, or Charlie, or, or a missions team, and so on, it is absolutely vital that we be praying for those people in their work as they go out. And no doubt Paul and Barnabas had asked for that as well. Now, one of the things that we will notice, though, is that if you are going to be a servant of God. You've got to be a man who was gifted by God. Most Presbyterian books of church order, going back as far as I, I could find, have defined ordination this way. This is just one example. Ordination is the authoritative admission of one duly called to an office in the church of God, accompanied with prayer and laying on of hands, to which it is proper to add the giving of the right hand of fellowship. You will actually see that carried out, God willing, in a little while, as we ordain Elder David Mullen. And so we read in verse 3, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they were sent away. But note this, our own ARP form of government notes, the act of ordination is not valid apart from a prior calling of God. 
It is God's call upon people that the church acknowledges and then ordains them to the roles that God has set for them. Now, a few things are worth noting also about the, uh, the church that was sending them, the church in Antioch and the mission that they were going on. First, uh, the, the church, it was not, as I said, an autonomous collective where everyone did what seemed right to him. God gave them a structure. He gave them church order. He gave them leaders. He gave them elders to teach and to speak the word of God. And uh, we note the men who are picked out in these verses. We have Barnabas, a Jew from Cyprus. We have a black man named Simeon, Niger, incidentally, is Latin for black. A Gentile named Lucius from Cyrene, that is in North Africa. Also in this church was Menaean, a Jew of royal descent who had been part of King Herod's household. And then there's Saul, a rabbi from Tarsus in Cilicia. And not one of these men came from the same place. Every single one of them was born hundreds of miles apart. I was, uh, I was just thinking, um, I hadn't thought about it before, believe it or not. And I'm, I'm probably, uh, you know, cloth-headed for not, uh, not having thought of it before. But the members of our session, we were all born hundreds or thousands of miles apart. Dave doesn't help that, of course. He was born, you were born on the West Coast, weren't you? So out the very, at the very edge of the continent in the wild and, and crazy wastes of, uh, of Seattle, that area, right? You know, so in any event, so 3,000 miles away from uh, where... Uh, Elder King was born in Washington, D.C., and Elder Brunson was born in Charlotte, and, and Pastor Webb was born in London, so far, far away from one another, and yet all called to minister in a particular church. That's the way it should be. People from around the world called together, even though they have all of these differences. And these men would have been, I mean, they, they think of the backgrounds that they had, the differences, the, the different speeches, dialects, tribal loyalties, and so on, different appearance, different dress that they had come uh, from. And yet they were all officers together in the church in Antioch. I remember hearing a ridiculous speech by uh, a, a BLM leader. He was condemning Christianity as a European white man's religion. And I thought to myself, clearly you have never read the Bible. <laughs> you have no clue exactly how diverse this community was. This is the only organization on earth that can unite men from throughout the world without using forced compulsion and create true harmony of life and purpose. We don't need gulags, brothers and sisters, in order to, uh, to do the work of God or, or jihadis or any of those things. Because we have the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And we have the commandments of God that send us forth. Anyway, Paul and Barnabas had been ministering in Antioch for a year, but it was not, not God's intention that they would stay as elders in, in Antioch. And that's often the case. You end up uh, being called to one particular ministry, and then you find out that God... Uh, is going to keep you there for a little while, but he has plans for you elsewhere. I never in my entire life... I hadn't even heard of Fayetteville, okay, prior to being called here. I was vaguely aware that there was a place called Fort Bragg, but that was only from reading military books. And then I discovered Fayetteville, and that turned out to be the place that I was called to. But it's been my experience with brothers in Christ. They've ended up being called to, to ministries they never expected to go to either. It wouldn't surprise me, although I know Son is not hoping for this, if Dave wasn't called to, to ministry after ministering for a goodly time here as an elder, obviously, um, to, to some other ministry somewhere else, perhaps on another continent or something like that. But that's up... <laughs> That's up to the Lord to decide, though, ultimately, <laughs> on where people come. 
and go. He says, go, and they go. That's the way it should be. Now, uh, note this. It's not that Paul and Barnabas decided to leave Antioch and go on a mission, or even that the church decided to send them. Rather, they were called to a particular ministry. That's, that's very necessary. Um, it is God who calls, and it's God who gifts. All right? We must wait for his call. And we know that people are called to particular ministries. They're not just ordained generally. There are churches out there like the Anglicans and the Roman Catholics who ordain men and then look for a call. But we think it should go the other way around. You should receive the call and then be ordained for that particular ministry or installed in order to perform it. And now note how, uh, how well suited they were for the ministry they're appointed to. They set sail from Seleucia, the port city near Antioch, uh, for Salamis, which is the port city of the island of Cyprus. Mark and Barnabas were from Cyprus, and Cyprus had trading links uh, of old with Antioch, so it's no surprise that the first place that they're sent to is the island of Cyprus. And incidentally, uh, some have said that if Barnabas and Paul were the first missionaries, then John Mark was the first ministerial intern. Uh, to accompany somebody on that. And note also how central prayer and fasting is to all of this. The church prays, the Lord provides. Well, let me give you a few applications of what we see here. The first is this, and this is obvious. If you haven't caught this yet, it, <laughs> I don't know why. God himself chooses and equips the men who will do his work. It's that simple, and it's absolutely vital. If a man is not called, if a man is not, and God forbid this happens, a man is not regenerate, and he is not gifted, then he is not called to that work. And nothing you can do will change that. Now, I have seen men, even in Orthodox, evangelical denominations, struggling against this idea. More than once in my life, I have seen men called up before a presbytery. They do a horrible job in their exam. But they're the man for it. They've already been selected. They've already been called. And it becomes very apparent that the presbytery is being asked simply to rubber stamp it. And so everybody goes into a frenzy. And men hop up and they're like, well, I can help him with this. I can help him with that. I remember there was one particularly egregious um, occasion where it was a missionary we were sending off to the Philippines. One of the things that was said that just, uh, it, I hate to say it this way. I can't put it another. It hurt my heart to hear it. Well, he's going to the Philippines. They deserve a less qualified ministry than we do? What are you saying? You know, that, that, that uh, I mean, that, it hurt my heart. And that made me angry when I thought about it. But anyway, he gave, a, he gave a sermon. Sometimes it's nervousness. I mean, all of these men, generally speaking, who are being ordained for the first time, they've spent years in academia, and they're very nervous. And generally, 9 out of 10, I don't know why it is, 9 out of 10 of the men who you will see going forward into the ministry are really awkward and introverted to begin with. Um, I'm kind of an example of that. So uh, in any event, so you, you want to give them the judgment of charity. And they're, stand, you know, they're, giving a, they're giving a sermon before the rabbis. You know what I mean? You've got all the teachers there. And they know they're being judged. Um, so it's not, it's not an, a, a great situation to be in. But this man stood up, and he was just bubbling with arrogance. And he gave a sermon that made no sense. I mean, I, I turned a couple times to... I'm like, it's not me, right? I haven't forgotten how logic works, right? Or, you know, I, don't, I can't follow him. I don't know what his point is. And that's wrong. What he just said, you know, right there, that's just wrong. That's a bad interpretation. And, you know, the pastor next to me is just nodding his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah this is awful. And so um, 
he, he kind of, he didn't, he didn't finish his sermon. He kind of crashed the plane, you know, and it ended. And everybody's like looking at each other like, that's the worst sermon I ever heard. Um, I feel dumber having heard it. Uh, and it really was that bad. And so that's when all of the panicking began and everybody's, you know, the plane's waiting on the tarmac, quite literally. We need to shuttle him off to the airport as soon as possible so he can fly out to the Philippines. And, you know, an older man turned to me at that point and he said, he said, this is ridiculous. He said, you can't put in what the Holy Spirit leaves out. You can't. Now, to my bewilderment, we actually sent him. We did. I, I didn't vote for him. Nobody sitting near me voted for him, but uh, he squeaked out uh, that. He went, and uh, it, it did not go well, but we should have expected that. God had not called that man. God had not man, uh, gifted that man, but we acted like we could overcome all of that. Brothers and sisters, you can't. If God has left it out, that man is not called. Let him sell insurance, flip burgers, do whatever. But this is not his calling if he is not equipped for it. If you are called, though, if you are gifted, <laughs> you need to go. That's the other side of the truth. If you aren't, don't go whatever happens. But if you are called, then you need to, as Spurgeon said to one of his sons, if you're called to ministry, don't stoop to pick up the crown of a king. It is that important. Now, one of the reasons why it has to be God who calls and equips men to ministry is because it is spiritual warfare. This is one of the applications uh, of this. Uh, and the particular difficulties and trials that you will encounter in ministry are, are uh, overwhelming. Unless the Lord has equipped you and given you perseverance and persistence and people who will pray for you, and sometimes rhino hide to endure what's going on, um, you, will, uh, you will burn out very quickly. One of the things that we used to see was that the uh, general burnout rate, it was seven years and a man would, would leave the ministry. That would be the point at which he was used up, said, I can't do it anymore, my family can't take it, and he would pop out. It's come down to three years at this point in time. Uh, part of that is cultural change. Part of that is the people who are going in and our, our eagerness to ordain men who I don't think are really called. But remember this, just as snipers are trained to shoot not at, you know, they're not trained to shoot at buck privates, who are they trained to shoot at? The officers, right? Take them out, and you've disabled the unit. And that's what the devil does. He, he is, he's not wise, but he is wily. And so he always aims the slings and arrows at the officers, hoping to take them down and leave the congregation without leadership. That's always been the case. And so Saul and Barnabas, as soon as they were ordained, as they hit the mission field, they immediately begin to notice, as you go through Acts, increasing opposition. There's a sorcerer named Elymas. Then they encounter opposition from the Jews, and that opposition quickly becomes violent. And then uh, John Mark, who was not ordained on this mission, uh, but who had accompanied them, uh, probably expecting that things would go as well as they had in Antioch, he, he, um, he leaves. Uh, he pops smoke, and he's gone. And I can assure you that if you are not truly called to that ministry by God, and you are, you are not sustained, you will not be able to perform it. 
missionary, uh, missionary activity is difficult, but the ministry is at times crushing. It really is. And not just for you, but for your family as well. I remember, and I've, I've said this before, I apologize for repeating myself. I, I came out of um, answering calls from angry people. I, was in, uh, I went from being computer technical support to being a systems administrator. And the only time anybody wanted to contact me was when their computer wasn't working or the network was down. Nobody called down to me and said, hey, everything's fine and you're doing a great job. Thanks. Nobody. It was always angry people. And I could tell when something had gone wrong, my phone would start ringing off the hook. And then I would have to go and deal with these angry people. How long is this going to last? Why is this happening again? Do you know what you're doing? That kind of thing. Uh, yes, sir, yes, you know, and you, you got there, okay, I'll, Dobby will get it done, I'll, I'll fix the network, don't worry, I've got a sock. No, anyway, so, you, you, you really, you do that, you fix it, you go home, and, you, you know, hopefully you don't kick the dog, uh, but you offer up all of your anxieties and so on to God, but it ends, you know. The ministry, oh my word. It makes sometimes technical support seem easy, and I'm not, I'm not joking about that. It is hard. Um, our Kent Hughes comments on this. No matter what your level of involvement in Christian activity or ministry, you will be subject to difficulties and trials. Friends will sometimes forsake you. Families will fail you. Heartache will be a regular part of your life. In fact, dedication to Christ often brings us face-to-face -face with more problems than if we lived for ourselves. So welcome aboard, Dave, um, and get ready. Um, that's one of the reasons why within our congregation we have a, a longer period of testing and training and trial for our officers. That's why we require uh, that you be a member of the congregation for a year at least before you, uh, you are a candidate for office. We want to be as certain as we possibly can be that the men that we call to office are the men that God has called to this office, that, men have, that the men have been gifted that they are adequately trained and they're equipped for battle and that they know what they're getting into, that they're not running into something without any idea. Paul warned against ordaining men too quickly. He said in 1 Timothy 5.22, do not lay hands on anyone hastily. And then in 1 Timothy 3.6, he warned that an elder be experienced, saying, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Now, second and final application, very quick. Why then would anybody do this? Why would anybody become an officer in the church? I've just said, you know, this is a, an incredibly difficult thing to do. And it's one in which you have the world, the flesh, and the devil actively working against you all the time, trying to undermine. But there are so many blessings that an elder gets to see. So many wonderful things. Not only do you have the, uh, the knowledge that you're, you're going out into the fields and that you're working for the Lord, the best of all masters, uh, you get to see Christians fall in love and, and then form families. You get to see uh, the joy of, of children being brought into the world and then uh, growing up uh, under the tutelage of believing parents and, and being part of that, that process, being able to assist them. Uh, being able to come alongside husbands and, and do that needful training. 
It was a huge blessing to me to have godly Christian men who knew what it was like to be a husband and a father come alongside me and give me some advice about how to do that. You get to see something even more miraculous than, than birth. You get to see the new birth again and again as God brings people to a living faith. There is no greater joy that an officer in the church can have than when he sees somebody come to faith, born again in the Lord Jesus Christ. You get to help babes in Christ move from milk to meat, to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord in that, that wonderful process of sanctification. You get to, to be involved in the discipling and, yes, sometimes the disciplining of the members of the church and the safeguarding of it. And you know that you are involved in the most important work there is. I have worked for companies where I have... I, I, I remember I used to sell advertising for a magazine, and people would ask me, why should I buy space in this magazine? And in my heart of hearts, I'm thinking, you shouldn't. It's a complete waste of time, all right? It's just a boutique magazine. I have no idea why it's even in print, and I don't think anybody's going to buy your product uh, based on you putting it here. It's a, it's a waste of your money, quite literally. But instead, I would say, oh, well, actually, we, <laughs> you know, I always, this incidentally is before I became a Christian. But I wasn't even particularly good at it at that point in time. But there are so many people who are involved in things that ultimately, they're either trivial right now, or they may be important for a little period of time, but it's like uh, the best sandcastle on the beach. Something that ultimately will be knocked down by the waves of time, go away, and nobody will remember it. Brothers and sisters, when you're involved in the ministry, when you're involved as an elder or a deacon within the church or a missionary or just somebody working on a committee here or there, you are involved in the work of eternity. You are involved in the most important work it is possible to be involved in. You are bringing people from eternal death to eternal life. You are pointing them to the only destination that will matter for them ultimately. You are inviting people into an eternal relationship with their creator via faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What could be more important than that? It's impossible to think about anything. After the heavens and the earth are rolled up like a scroll, melted in the fire and then remade, that work will continue on for eternity. That is work that lasts. And that's why we should all desire to be involved in it, no matter how hard it is. Because it is important in the greatest possible sense. Let's pray now and ask the Lord to bless us as we now go about ordaining one of his servants. God, our Father, I do pray, Lord, that you would impress upon us the importance of the work of, of officers within your church, deacons who serve elders who rule, pastors who teach. Lord, we need all of them. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would continue to raise up men from within this congregation. I pray, Lord, that you would also work, raise up ministry workers, missionaries, people to serve on committees and do that needful work in building the kingdom. For nothing is more important than that. Help us to remember that. We pray these things in